Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. So when I played my first test match, I looked at how many wickets per match people had got in history. And I think it was like it was Marshall or Lily or somebody like that had got 5.15 or something uh, per test. So I said, okay, I'm going to get five, right? Yeah, five wickets per test. And I I didn't end up getting there, but I got real close. So I don't... uh, Real, real close, and it was only because I'd written it. I, 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 I decided that that was what was going to happen. Hi, everyone. Shane Watson here. Thank you for listening to Lessons Learned with the Greats. This is part two of my amazing chat with former Aussie leg spinner Stuart McGill. Part one is a belter and available now, so definitely check it out. Here's part two, which covers mental skills, dealing with the media and the best books Macca has read. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to go back to the visualization side of things from a, from a mental skills aspect because yep. that is, that's, that's an amazing skill to be able to have, to be able to visualize it. So then it just aligns everything and, you, and it gets you in the same frame of mind every single ball because you know what you're chasing every ball from a mental, mental skills aspect. And, and I loved what you said there about writing down your best ball. And it's not just like, it's a leg spinner that's um, you know, hitting the top, hitting the top of the top of the bat, going to first slip or the keeper. Right? It's not that. It's actually defining the technical side of things, but then also the mental the mental checklist. What what you're thinking before the ball? Yeah, you know, all those different things because that is so unbelievably powerful. So when did you know? When did you when did you discover that that was so powerful? And then you just did it over and over again because did someone teach you or you just discovered it yourself? Okay. Um, so I was at the Creek Academy in 1991 mm-hmm. and uh, I don't remember who the guy's name was because I'm old, but um, he said three things. He said uh, visualisation, routines and goal setting. Um, I didn't particularly um, connect with the guy, mm. so I just rubbished him. Mm. I, 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 he, uh, he was a lovely bloke uh, and all that, but but it didn't it didn't he didn't work for me, so I just just chucked it. I came to Sydney from Perth. Uh, I was twenty five years old, and I was playing for Sutherland and um, Len Pascoe because I, I grew up watching you know World Series and mm. Len Pascoe came up to me. Um, he, he came to watch a great game. And he said to me, oh, hey, how you going, Lenny? And I'm, you know, <laughs> uh, and I was excited. And uh, he said to me, so um, why'd you move over here? I said, I want to play for New South Wales. He said, oh, how are you going to do that? And I said, oh, because um, <laughs> I, I, I even, and I, I kind of went, what, what do you, well, I said, I'm going to take um, a bunch of wickets. And he said, how many? <laughs> and I said, oh, I don't know. I, how? How many? How many should I take? And he said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "And then he said, how many games are there?" And I went, "I don't know." <laughs> I said, and he just kept asking me these questions. And he said, "He actually said to me um, that these were all Greg Chapel's ideas." I, I must say, yeah, okay. <laughs> so he, he, he said to me, "I've spoken to Greg Chapel. He's told me everything he knows. Pretend I'm Greg Chapel." And I'm going, and I'm going to myself. You're Len Pascoe, man. <laughs> but, but anyway, so he said, uh, so he, he told me that I should write down, work out the number of games that there were in a season, work out how many wickets I wanted to get per game, mm. 
then work out, say, how many that week that meant. So it ended up, I think there must have been 12 games and uh, I worked out that I wanted to get five wickets a game and I wanted to get 60 wickets <laughs> for the season. Um, and, and the thing with these goal-setting stuff is you, don't, you can't tell people you want to do that <laughs> because they'll look at you and they'll think, you're a moron, mate. There's Arrogant. no way you're going to do yeah. that. Yeah. It's like, come on. You've got a yeah. big head, you're dick. You know, you're like, so, you, you, but he just said, just you work it out. He said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. He said, just work it out, write it down. And then this game, let's say, if you get four wickets, then next game you've got to get six wickets. You know, and you just keep ticking them off and ticking them off. This week, if you get eight wickets, don't just get, you know, three wickets, uh, of, you know, two wickets the next week. Try and get five again. Try and keep it ahead. Mm. Try and keep it ahead, and um, uh, I, I did. I did that, and I got fifty-eight. And and um, there's no way I would have done it if it wasn't. So you know, I think I got down to the last last game or something like that, and I needed a whole bunch, and I I came real close. Like I think I might have got twelve or something to get me back to where I needed to be. And I did that all the way through my test career as well. So when I played my first test match, I looked at how many wickets per match people had got in history. And I think it was like it was Marshall or Lily or somebody like that had got 5.15 or something uh, per test. So I said, okay, I'm going to get five, right? Yeah, five wickets per test. And I, I didn't end up getting there, but I got real close. So nice. I don't... Uh, Real, real close, mm. and it was only because I'd written it. I, I, I decided that that was what was going to happen. So that's even though. So that's that's your goal setting, right? Mm. Which which is which is short term and long term mm. because, and I guess even medium term because it's you know you've got your end of you've got your game by game, then you've got your end of season, and then your ultimate goal is to play for Australia. And when you get picked at each the next level, then you reassess as well. So, mm. for instance, in one day cricket. I tried to take three wickets a game. Mm. Um, and in domestic one-day cricket, I think I took 2.8, something like that a game. So I came close. Mm. Like, but you're not going to get there if you don't go big. Yeah. So you, 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 like if I'd aimed for three wickets a game, I wouldn't have quite got there either. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so- no, absolutely. I- I love I love what you're saying there, yeah. Because you, what you're saying is that you, you've set a goal, which is they're so powerful. Because then every game you've got you've got something riding on it. You know, yeah. Other, otherwise, when you're playing cricket all the time, you just you'll go more more chance of going through the motions. You're going, oh yeah, well I hope I have a good yeah. day. Whereas when you've got that goal that goal setting, like you're you're pushing yourself every every game. You know you're not every, every, it's going to work out, yeah. but it's it, you don't just rock up and cruise. I love it. And, and, and so as you powerful. said, it's not always going to work out. But this is also a part of visualization, right? Because you know what you're going to do. Hmm. Now, now the, the the second part is or we've already talked about the routines. The hmm. routines to that is that approach hmm. and making sure you do it all again. But hmm. the final part is the actual visualization. Hmm. Now, I can stand. So, people talk about body language quite a lot. When you're at the top of your mark and you're looking down at the batsman, I was never actually looking at the batsman. Mm. I was looking in the direction of the batsman and the batsman might have thought that I was looking at him, mm. but I wasn't. I couldn't even see his face. I wasn't even mm. looking at that. What I was actually doing, because I got to the point where I could have my eyes open and mm. see a movie of my best ball. <laughs> coming down the pitch. Now, when you are coming up with this, so first of all, you've got to define your best ball. Mm-hmm. Then, because otherwise, how do you know what it's going to look like yep. when you're visualizing it, yep. right? So then I could see it. So mine, even though I didn't really drift it much, I was in, I was big into top spin rather than, you know, the drift because I, I thought that batsman could never, you know, but so I would see the ball angling into middle and leg. Mm. I, it would, it would drop. There would always be like, and the, the amount of detail that you include in this is very good too. The because more power, the more power. The, yeah, mm. it is. And the more things that you pack into your head, mm. the less bad things can be in there. Yep. So I'd see a little puff of dust 
you know, as it hit the pitch and then it would break sharply and hit the top corner of the bat and I'd see where he got out, caught it first slip, Mark Taylor on his chest, right? Um, I could feel the breeze coming towards me. It would always be coming from over third man. So that would be a part of the visualisation. I could hear people. And what I found was when I got a wicket, it always went quiet when I got a wicket and then there'd be a noise. Mm. And so I'd hear all of those things and you put all of those things in. (laughs) And I I didn't think, I didn't do that every ball, but when you're in trouble Mm. and you've got the ability to do that, it's really good. And and Mm. I've realised recently that I remember seeing a couple of young batsmen like staring at the bowlers and looking at them in the eyes and, and, and that sort of stuff. And they're interacting with the bats. The batsmen and the bowlers are interacting. Mm. I realised that if I'm standing at the top of my mark, going through my checklist, exhaling, relaxing my arms, letting the ball drop while I'm visualising my best ball, mm. the batsman thinks I'm trying to stare him down anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and little does he know, I don't care about the batsman. Mm. My, 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 my thing is, I think um, um, bowling is like a penalty kick in football, in round ball football. Mm. You know, you can't do anything until I've let go of it. Mm. So who cares about the batsman? Well, yeah. The batsman is irrelevant almost, you yeah. know. Completely. If I bowl my best ball, then you've got to deal with it. I can't. Like after I've let go of it, it's not like I can run back and grab it and stop you from hitting it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. But that, I think I was actually, this part of the game is probably what got me anywhere at all. I think I was better at this than a lot of guys going around uh, because there were a lot of technical issues with my bowling that wasn't perfect that weren't perfect, but I've got this nailed. And mm. I think that's why I managed to achieve what I did because <laughs> it helped, it simplified things actually, mm. which is funny, but like by overthinking. By defining it so deeply, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Maka, this is a stuff that like, you know, I played a bit of cricket with you and I, and I know you yeah. well. And this is like, again, and this is the thing that, one I, I love probably more than anything about um, this podcast is that I'm getting information that I wish I knew when I first met you. <laughs> I wish I asked this question to really understand what, like, what worked for you, but also you're so good at defining why it worked for you. Uh, and, it's, and, this you. Is, there's no, and that's the reason why there's no secrets, why you were so, you were so unbelievably good. Okay, so with just the last question around this visualization, because this is I, this is absolutely phenomenal, mate. Is when did you discover? When did you discover the visualization, or and or when did you just consciously have that as a default? I reckon it might have been quite late. I reckon it was around about county cricket time, so two thousand early two thousands, two thousand one to around about there. Um, I'd have had the goal setting from the mid nineties. So goal setting from, you know, 95. Yeah. Um, like, and goal setting, it, it, was, it was specific mm. goal setting. Mm. That, that was the thing. I mean, you know, I always said, I, you know, I want to play for Australia. Mm. But you had to know how, well, you have to know how you're going to do that. All the steps. So yep. specific goal setting mm. from, from the mid-90s. Mm. Um, Routines were probably very late. The routines were probably 2002. Okay. Um, Visualisation was probably in between. So first thing, goal setting. Second thing, visualisation. Last thing, routines. Because I knew what my best ball should be Hmm. and I knew why I wanted to bowl it. Mm. But I didn't realise, you know, as we said right at the beginning, the most simple thing of all is you run up and starting in the same place. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, I can't believe now that I hadn't thought about that mm. earlier. But um, mm. so that was a big thing because I, I think between my first test and my last test, my run up had actually changed because I worked out exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. So it, 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 it happened in stages. Yeah. Um, 
all of the, the um, I have, you know, I've, I had quite a lot of English blokes come out to work with me over the last sort of five or six years, but obviously COVID's a little bit of an issue. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think I tell people these things. Obviously, then they need to get to them by themselves. Mm. But as you said, wouldn't it have been great to know all these things when you were 16? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the starting your run up from the same place. The, I'll tell you what's really great from a coaching point of view. Mm. Uh, I can have 20 minutes with a kid and they bowl better at the end just because because of the most stupidly easy. It's not because I'm the super coach. Mm. It's just because I go, oh, look, I'll tell you what, why don't you just start from the same spot every yeah. ball? <laughs> and then their parents come up and go, gee, they're bowling well. Mm. And I go, mm, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, all me. Yeah, it's almost embarrassing. I almost that's why I probably hesitate to coach a lot of you know ch- you know children sub fifteen mm. because because honestly the parents could do it. Mm. <laughs> it's like all they need to do is just you know if they went if they watched the Shane Watson podcast. They'll be able to do it themselves, and I can sit on the couch and watch the TV. <laughs> no, but you are the expert, so you always get it. There's always going to be premium for that. But um, what what you said there is, um, imagine if I knew this when I was 16, and this is actually the 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 sole reason why I started this podcast, because I, I'm I feel so fortunate to have been able to get to know some of the best cricketers that ever played, and Macca to have got to know you to have played with you, um, and if if I was 16 starting out. I would have loved to be able to actually feel like I'm sitting down with some of the greatest players, one of the greatest league spinners of all time, and actually just been able to find out what worked for them and when they discovered it and why it worked. And again, like the question I asked you around the visualization side of things, I wish I knew that when I, well, I wish I knew that when I first started playing with you when I was, you know, in my first tour in, in uh, 2002 Test Tour, we're we're on the sideline together. I was just just in there, sort of enjoying the ride. I wish I asked this question. I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know exactly what I was looking for. Do you know what I mean? So um, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. You've got to remember what I and you know, don't beat yourself up about this because, like, you've got to remember that people are going through different things at different stages, and mm. and, and you had a, because you were young and you could do everything well, um, you had a lot of pressure on you from outside as well that you had to learn how to deal with and and. See, I didn't have that pressure because, first of all, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me. Um, I was much yeah. older. Uh, I didn't play for New South Wales till I was 26. Mm. So, so it's almost like, you know, it's like it was the last roll of the dice for me. Mm. So, uh, whereas you, you, you were always going to play. And, and, and that's another thing that you need to consider when you're talking to developing players. What are they going through? What are they having to deal with? Because maybe it's not time for you to get to visualization. Mm, that's <laughs> like, true. Like yeah. maybe, you know, you had to deal with things that other players didn't have to deal with. And, um, I think that, and I, I can only imagine what it's like to be. I think you know a batsman and a bowl. Like you know, even if you thought you were predominantly a batsman, you bowled a full workload of bowling. Mm. So, so, so you're a bowler as well, <laughs> and and the pressure of doing that, you know, was. I don't really know, you know, how you go about that. So, so you mustn't beat yourself up. These things come to us at the time when it's most appropriate, you know. Mm. And I think we should probably feel lucky that um, they've come to us at any stage, mm. because for a lot of players around the world, um, it never happens. Yeah, and that's a that's a beautiful perspective, and you, and you're absolutely right. I suppose the thing is if there was a resource where I could actually like listen to <laughs> listen to the greatest players that have played to, even if I pick one or two simple things out. And this is one of the things that you like around visualization. That's actually one of the things that continues to stand out as a common thread of the greatest players. The greatest cricketers is, is a big part of visualization. 
Um, and you've just, you've spoke about it so beautifully, um, Stewie. So yeah, thank you. Thank mate. you. The media can provide a lot of different challenges at times. Looking back now, would you have approached the media in a different way throughout your career? Look, um, I, I, I remember one of my first tours because I've got a very good relationship with some journalists. Mm. Um, when I first started playing, I actually took all of them out. <laughs> all of the, I think, I don't remember if we were in Pakistan or India, um, but one of my first tours, I took all of the journalists out for, for um, uh, dinner and drinks and I paid. It, you know, um, and I said to them, if you, because I, I said, if you, if you say anything about me in the paper that you haven't tried to speak to me about. Mm. So I said, here's my phone number. Um, it's yours. Call me. Um, if you write anything about me, that's not true. And you haven't taken the time to try and speak to me, I will never speak to you again. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I said, and just to be clear, I will never speak to you again. <laughs> I did a press conference. Uh, there were two, it was two occasions, one in England. I found out that a journalist uh, was, because I wouldn't allow them at the press conference even. Mm -hmm. So I, at the end of a uh, day's play, for those of you who, who don't know, at the end of a day's play, every single day, there's a press conference and, you know, there's, uh, I don't know, a dozen journos there or whatever. And uh, I found out, so first of all, one of, one of the guys tried to come in who I would never talk to. Uh, and so I said, right, I'm not saying anything. I'm just going to sit here until he leaves. And, you know, I got into a little bit of trouble, but, mm. but I didn't say anything until he left. So he left. And then once in England, I found out that another journalist was taking, going to the press conferences and taking notes for him so that uh, it would be under his name. And I said, cool, well, you're banned as well. <laughs> and, and so I just did it that way. But the thing is, I just kind of thought, well, every, everybody had my phone number. When I was playing, every single journalist had my phone number. Mm. Um, and I just sort of felt, well, look, you don't have to. You're, you know, if I have a bad day, you're going to write about it. But that's fact. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, I bowled a pile of crap, and uh, that's just the way it goes. You know, mm. so you can't be you can't be too precious about you know having reality reflected in the media. Mm. Um, it was when people were guessing things, and you know the opinion side of things. I kind of think, well, who are you to have an opinion about what I'm doing professionally anyway? Mm. Um, I had people going through my rubbish at home. I had, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, if I had an, uh, any advice for young players, it would be never read the newspapers unless you've had a good day. Um, oh, trust me, on a good day, I'd buy every newspaper I could find. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, visualization, so, uh, the good visualization. <laughs> that's what it is. What's the yeah. point of watching yourself over and over and over again watching a bad ball? Yeah, I agree. Why yeah. relive a bad day? Mm. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to relive the good ones. Mm. Uh, but I, uh, you know, and I, I do, I've got, I, you know, they're not hanging on the wall. I've got the, the 200 wickets hanging on the wall behind me. That's just because that was something that you can only do once. And I was very proud of, you know, that. And it was a present from my, 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 uh, my ex. And I, I, you know, it was cool and it's, it's nice for my kids. But I do have some things I don't know what they're in they're in a file or something but I quite liked the the newspaper clippings you know when I was younger um but I really don't know why you would read the paper every single day mm. if you didn't want to feel upset and because it really does and and I don't know if the guys realize it at the time but I could see it when there was something bad in the paper, I could see the way it affected their cricket. The exception is Shane because he didn't, he just didn't really even care. But yeah. mind you, I don't know if he, but I don't think Warney actually did read the papers. I don't, I don't think he even really cared. Mm. 
um, because I don't think that was something that he did. So maybe we're on the same page there as well. Mm. Um, I, I think the fact that I am still good friends with a number of journalists means that I did play it the right way for me. Yep. Um, there were just, just cheapskate, you know, dirt bags. But do you know what's really funny? I don't think any of them still have a job. So, you know, once again, big Stewie's in town. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things there that really that stand out to me like super clearly is is one around um, not reading the media because, as you said, like yep. unless it's, unless especially especially when you're bad days because yeah. you're always going to get your human nature is you're going to really like get caught up in those, in those negative side of things. And you want, as you said, you want the opposite when things are going, yeah. going well, you want to be able to, that's, that's what you're wanting. That's what you want to be in that like headspace as often as you can. So, so that sort of gets you there. But the other thing that you said is even when you first started was taking the journalists out. And I, if I had my time again, that's absolutely, I would have done that with a journalist and also the commentators. It's a great idea, mate. You want to be like, because, do you know, the thing is, as I said, the thing that annoys me is when they try and guess what you're thinking, Mm. right? So here we go. How about you get to know them and then instead of guessing what you're thinking, well, (laughs) even if they guess, then they're a lot closer because, because they actually do know who you are and they know. And I used to have, I had a great time. I had a, I went to Bangladesh. I don't know if you yeah, 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 I don't know I if you're that, there. I went that, to Bangladesh. Um, yeah, miss that tour, yeah. Right, right. Well, so we went to Bangladesh mm. and um, one of my friends uh, got killed in a car accident at home. And um, I went out for dinner with uh, a couple of the journos, one of the photographers in a journo, uh, Rambo, and uh, I can't, um, yeah, can't remember that yeah, one of the photographers. Right. We went out for dinner and um, we, we we were just sitting there and, and – and they were the only ones that really knew that I was very, very upset, you know. Mm. Um, and I, uh, I, I we, we had a big, I've got to say, we had a big, big night. It was mm. late. Mm. But it was just in a hotel room, but it was just the three of us. And, and I remember feeling better because I needed to do something because I, I was really upset, you know, about my friend. And... Um, Rambo, it was cool because we we ended up talking about all sorts of stuff. I don't know, we might have played cards or some, mm. <laughs> you know, something stupid. But we, he ended up telling me that Australia was gone in the Test match, and I said, "No, no, no, mate, you've got no idea what you're talking about." Where you know the the thing about Australian cricket teams because it was it was one of I think it was one of Punner's first series as captain I, I you know it must have been in 2005 ish it's one of his first series as captain and um uh, but we really still were caught up in that whole steve war era mm. and uh one of the aspects of it was it's not finished until until it's finished mm. you know just it doesn't matter which how bad the game looks you can still win because it is still 20 wickets get more runs. That's all it is. It's, it's very simple. And um, I remember I, I bet Rambo, um, Andrew Ramsey, journalist, I think at the time for the Australian, I, I bet him that we were going to win. And he said, there's no chance. You're a moron. Mm. And, um, and of course, we did. Um, I think it, it could have even been when Dizzy made 200. So, so, but you know, but but you know, people should realise that I'm right all the time. <laughs> Good on you, mate. <laughs> okay, look, we're talking about let's um, right all the time. We'll move into we'll move into another aspect of life, um, and this is going to go get into um, another aspect of, of life away from cricket that I believe is one of the most important life skills that, like most of us, um, don't get much education on throughout our lives, and I I know I certainly didn't. But managing and investing the money that we earn as well as we can is, is making the most of, of what we've got. So looking back from where you are now with what you've earned throughout your life so far, would you've done things differently from an investment or like wealth generation point of view? What I look, when I first started playing 
first class cricket. So I was in the state squad in WA for five years and the state squad, you know, so the, the Sheffield Shield squad for five years and we didn't get paid a cent to be in the squad. When I moved to New South Wales in 95, I think the Players Association came into being around about 97, 98. 97, yep. yep. Yeah, 97, there we go. Um, and that's when players started to get paid to train. And the reason that that's very, very important for cricket is because of the amount of time that you invest. Mm. Now, it's players it's players that don't make it to the IPL or to test cricket or, you know, don't play a lot of Sheffield Shield cricket who I think that makes the biggest impact on. Mm. Because they train as hard as we're training and they put education aside as much as we put education aside. Mm. It's just that then what happens is they don't have the opportunity to earn any money. Mm. Now, I, I think that my biggest regret is that I never played for money. Not I didn't earn any money. That that's irrelevant to me. You, mm. You're 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 a product of your time. It's irrelevant. Mm. But my, I think the thing that I would change is I never really played for money. I, I think <laughs> I, I think that if I'd placed more importance on that, maybe I'd have a little bit <laughs> instead okay. of having instead of having absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I I think I think it would would have been a good idea to have placed a little importance on it. But for me, it wasn't. Cricket was always for me. And, and by the way, I, and I'm not, um, not criticising anybody who's playing today, mm. but for me, cricket was about me staring at you and, and, and beating you. Yeah. And the thing with... When I got a batsman out, I knew that messed with him a lot more than it was messing with me, and mm. I would probably forget it in about twelve minutes. <laughs> like I, I, I would generally forget. I, I, I had to get a batsman out once so that I could bowl to him. If I'd never mm. got a guy out, uh, that actually did mess me around. It didn't really matter how good they were mm. until I'd got him out once. I, I, I had trouble with them, but, you know, but for me, that was what it was all about. It was like, you know, showdown at the OK Corral, you know, like yeah. 20 paces, <laughs> bang, you know, yeah. um, and, and, um, but, but I, so I didn't ever, that was why I played. I didn't yeah. play for the, 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 the financial security of it. Um, yeah. I, I, I was very lucky to have played county cricket that, mm. that, that was a good financial period for me. Um, but um, look, if I was to give anybody uh, financial advice, I would say uh, stay married. Uh, I think that would be, <laughs> that would be the financial advice yeah. that I would provide for anyone. Yeah. But look, I, I, I think the, the number one thing that people tell you nowadays, well, throughout time is if you can do what you love and make money doing it, mm then then that's a good thing and I, I i don't think there's any harm in doing things that aren't necessarily hugely profitable mm. if you enjoy them yeah. because profit doesn't just need to be measured on the bottom line mm. um it needs to be measured in between your ears yeah. um and if you're happy and you are doing something that you love and it ticks things over and you can help people because unfortunately for me, I have this problem where um, I'd much rather give it away uh, than keep it. Um, I, I think that helping people, if you've got the means to help somebody else, then you should do it because um, they will help you. Mm. The, you know, the, the, it, it, one day, um, you know, 
they will help you. And I, and I think that maybe, you know, oh, I don't know if, I don't know if you should legislate. I don't know if you should ask people who earn over a certain amount to give money. Mm. But I see the guy that owned Twitter gave a third of his wealth away mm. to um, the World Health Organization, a third of his wealth. <laughs> and you can imagine the sort of numbers we're talking about mm. here. Um, I think that's the sort of, you know, Bill Gates does the same sort of thing. I don't think you need to worry about people who earn massive wealth if they are contributing to society. You know, if you've made a lot of money, you're allowed to have a big house. You're allowed to eat nice restaurants. You're allowed to drink good wine. Mm. You know, you're allowed to have a good car. Um but I think it's always nice if you share what you've got with people that don't have anything. And, um, you know, you might not be having such a great day, but um, there's always people having worse days. And, uh, and I like that. Um, I've probably been a little bit, <laughs> I probably should have looked after myself a touch more, but my kids have uh, a couple of, you know, they've got, they're great. Their mum's a, a, a superstar. She's, you know, she's got plenty for them. And I've got, you know, my son's got a car. They've got a unit. They're, everything's going okay. Um, you, you should always make sure you you look after yourself first. And then if you've got a little bit extra, please share it with other people less fortunate. Yep, no, that's a beautiful perspective. And the one thing that I love what you said there is around, it's not just the bottom line of the the profit that you make or, you know, the money that you earn, but it's the contentment, the satisfaction, that stuff that, that, that joy that you have by doing what you're doing, what you love. And then, you know, the, the, whatever, whatever the outcome is from a financial perspective yeah. and the bottom line, as you said, like, that's just, it's a, it's an added bonus. And that's a, it's a, that's what everyone's exactly. really, that's what everyone really is chasing, isn't it? Well, they should do that, man. It, it goes, you might look at your bank balance and go, well, that's not what it should be. But then you think, but hang on, I'm healthy. They're sick. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I've got a job that I like doing. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a beautiful home. Well, it doesn't matter what's in the bank. Mm. Well, what do you want? My kids yeah. have a good education. Uh, you know, they're nice people. Mm. Like, it's yeah. like those things should all be on your bottom line you know yeah <laughs> that's, that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true um and the one just the one point that you t uh, want to touch on as well is you said if you were actually playing for money that that would have potentially changed your mindset around how how you invested or how you used it how, how do you think that would have changed Okay, so there's a, there's a great story that I heard about Brian Lara. So Brian and I, when we were playing against each other, he, he's like you know, the nemesis of all spin bowlers, yeah. the greatest player, <laughs> certainly in my time of spin bowling. He's a, yeah. you know, he's a super freak. Yeah. Um, and we, so we didn't really talk because I, I, I wanted it that way. Um, Brian, um, and the reason I wanted that, so, you know, we went, uh, one year we were in the Caribbean and, and he had a party at his house when we were in, um, Trinidad and I was the only player in the squad that didn't go and the reason that I didn't go is I said to all the guys I said well you guys all hate him so why are you going to his house like I, I don't understand what's the you know that's just you know ridiculous oh you know and oh, I'm not going to tell you who it was but one of the players one of the players said but he's got a TV in every room and I'm going oh <laughs> what, what do I care about that sort of crap for? But but he, but it, I just kind of felt that if we were going because he was such a significant component of that team, mm. I just felt that you know we'd just stay out of it. Mm. And uh, but I heard a great but and and by the way now because he was the greatest and so I had a lot of respect for him. Mm. Um, we get along very, very well now. And he, he's in Australia sort of once or twice a year and we always catch up. He's, he's you know, we, we, I love, you know, he's, he's a super freak. Um, mm. But um, he, when he went to Warwickshire, the year that he made 501, he mm. sat all of the players, all of the batsmen, no, no, all the players down in a circle and he said, okay, cool. This is the deal. I don't care what your motivation is for playing. 
Some of you might be playing because you want to get more chicks. Mm. Some of you might be playing because you want to play for England. Some of you might be playing because you want the money. He said, I play for money. And he said, I know that the only way I'm going to get the money is by making the runs. Mm. He said, whatever your motivation is, own it. So first of all, once again, define it, it. (laughs) own it, and then make sure you know how you're going to get it. (laughs) So, and, and that's the whole deal. I, I don't really care. And I, and I, you know what? And the, look, the reason I remember it is mm-hmm. because to me that does make sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't play, I never played for money, mm-hmm. but I did play for strike rate mm-hmm. and I did play for, it was a big ego for me. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted you to know that I got you out once. You know, yeah, I yeah, wanted more than once. Because, <laughs> but, but the thing is, you remember, look, I don't think, I think I remember getting at LBW once, but I, but I, I don't, it's for me, I wanted you to know yeah, that that's I took right. you out. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like, because, because yeah. I wanted you to be carrying it around. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, that was, it wasn't about the money. Mm. I, like Justin Langer hit me for, uh, I think it was 68 off three overs in a, in a shield game in, um, in, at the Wacker one year. And, uh, like, you know, 60, 68 in three overs. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting in the spa with my, my feet in, it was an ice bath in the ice bath, just sitting there. And I put the music up loud and I'm just kind of going, what the, you know, what happened there? And it turned out. So the next day, so I did read the paper the next day on that one, um, because one of the guys brought it over. It turned out that I'd got him out in both innings of a shield game three years before. Because, so the question to, the, to Justin was at the end of the day, wow, that seemed to be really personal. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, and Justin said, well, three years ago in Newcastle, Stewie got me out in both. I didn't even remember. Mm. <laughs> but, 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 but that was my motivation. It was mm. that sort of thing. And actually, the week later, we played in Hobart. You might have been playing. So I got none for 150 in the first innings at the Wacker and just mm-hmm. interviewed for 68. The week later, I got six for 42 against Tasmania. And we got, no, you were playing for Queensland. I got mm-hmm. six for 42 against Tasmania. Then we went up to Queensland for the Shield final and we won. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and that was, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was that, but that was the bit that I played for. Mm. I played for the, it's, it's a stupidity, but there's a, it, the worst movie of all time, Balboa, you mm. know, it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how, how hard you can get hit mm. and get up and keep moving forward. And, 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 and that's, I, I just reckon I've found out by the way, that Stallone ripped that quote off. Uh, it was a, it's a Winston Churchill quote, oh, right. so, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. which is cool that I, I found yeah. it because, yeah. uh, you know, it means that I, I should be quoting Winston Churchill instead of, but I, um, I, I just think that money is something. Um, if I had played just for money, I would hope that I, was still equally motivated, mm-hmm. like Brian. Yep. But I just think that the unique quality of cricket is that stare down. Mm. And the memory, like if I'd just been playing for money, then none of the batsmen that I came up against would have cared as much. Mm. Um, they wanted to mess me up yep. because I'd been so nasty to them. Because bowling is kind of like bullying, you know, like you, you, you kind of, uh, everybody talks about uh, a send-off, you know, when after you've got somebody out, you're not supposed to say anything to them. Whereas I always felt that that was the one time you should say something to them mm-hmm. because that's the bit they're going to remember the mm-hmm. next time they walk out the bat. And so 
what you're doing is the next time they walked out to bat, they'd be trying to mess you up mm. big time. Mm. And that meant that they're off their game mm. because that's not the way you're supposed to bat. You can't, you can't, you can't be carrying baggage. Mm. It's stupidity, you know, and that, that sort of, I love it's it. Sort of the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I love I, it. What yeah, you said, so, right? Even with with Justin Langer carrying your baggage around for three three years. Three years. You're right, and that's and you and you're right, and you're absolutely right. Like that, and that's the thing that you're more than you know. Some people, you know, are very obvious about you know. I play for money, right? But but majority of other cricketers along the way, it's been about that that battle about having an impact, being able to have an impact on your competitors because that's the thing that actually gets you up and gets you going and gets a fire in your belly to keep like keep pushing the limit. And as you said, getting back up. Getting back up, back and up off the canvas, you, and and trust me, you're never gonna get it again. The mm. only the only mm. time you're ever gonna get it in your life is in cricket, batsman versus bowler. Because you go into the workplace and try this stuff. <laughs> Good luck, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Um, one thing that I have realised is is that life is all about how well you bounce back from the setbacks that life always throws at you, and and you've certainly had your fair share as as everyone has. Um, so do you have a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker? from the challenges that life always throws you away? And is it just the, is it, is it the Winston Churchill slash Rocky Balboa saying? (laughs) You know, know, the funniest thing, I can't believe you asked me that because (laughs) I do, I do have one that's just struck me recently. You know, Woolworths has had these ushies, you know, the little things. Anybody with a child will know these ushies. And one of the ushies, is um, is Dory from uh, Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. and Dory's favourite or famous saying is "Just keep swimming." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been telling people lately. I've got photos now of Dory on my phone. I've got the memes. I got the. I got the little clip video. I got everything <laughs> because yeah. do you know what? At the moment, that's my saying. That's all you got to do. Just keep swimming. So swimming, powerful, swimming. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, That's absolutely. It, yep. If you stay in the game, you just got to, and it's the same as cricket. It's the same as you just got to stay in the game. And it's, it's the, you know, never surrender. Winston Churchill, never surrender. Never, but, but it's a, just stay in the game and just keep swimming. Swimming, swimming. I love it, Maka. It's absolutely, it's absolutely something so simple. And obviously finding Nemo, it's such a powerful line. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, 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 it is. It's brilliant, mate. To finish off with, because I know you absolutely love reading. You've always been like devoured books on tour. Um, so can you give me like one to three of your favorite books that you've ever read? Okay. Um, so you probably don't know this, but, the one thing that I liked more than reading was music. I, I, I really music. Oh yeah, my god! To that no, music. Right. Yeah, music's the the one thing in my life that makes me feel anything. Yeah. So all of the emotional times of my life, including now, mm. uh, are shared with music, and I and I love music. And my son Alex, who has just uh, done his HSC, has just finished school. Gave me a couple of books at Christmas, um, and one of them was Elton John's autobiography. Yeah. And I um, and, and my wife Maria were very, very lucky to go to see Elton John uh, in December, mm-hmm. and um, he met us before the show mm. and um i was crying <laughs> i remember, I remember because, seeing i remember seeing you after uh, the show mm. oh well mm. you were there that's right yeah. you were there yeah i was i yeah. was crying uh, because we got to meet him and um he uh when i walked in the room he said to me um uh look uh you know hey how you going mate uh, you know and i was you know and he said Oh, come here. And he gave me a big hug and he said, it's going to be okay. Cause I, I was worried cause I had to be there by a certain time to get to meet him mm. and we were running late and I was really nervous and I hadn't told Maria and I, I was, I was just really worried about it. And, uh, 
it meant a lot to me. And he gave me a big hug and said, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and then even better, then he looked straight at Maria and he said, and who's this beautiful woman? And I, which made me feel, made me cry all over again, made me feel so good. <laughs> then, you know, we, we, it, was, it, was, it was just wonderful. And as you know, what a, what a, con- it was, what a nice. concert. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but then for Christmas, so my son gave me the Elton John autobiography. And I said to him, and I've said to him all the time, whenever you give somebody a book, you've got to write in it. Mm. Um, and it doesn't need to be, it just needs to be, because books are personal. You've got to, mm. you know, so he wrote in it, he said, um, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but dear dad, um, you've, you've listened to Elton John's music all your life and now you've even met him. Lots of, you know, happy Christmas, lots of love, Alex. And I read it and I just went, you know, it was just, you know, I just couldn't, you know, so that was just the best. So there's, there's book number one. Um, book number two, equally, equally powerful story for me. Um, and you're going to laugh because I'm pretty sure you grew up with him. Mitchell Johnson, right? Yeah. So when I when I finished playing cricket, so my son is a left arm uh, a swing bowler. Okay. So Mitch, obviously, you know. Yeah. When I finished playing cricket, it was in the Caribbean, and when you finish playing, and I don't know if this happened to you the other day in you know, in India, but 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 um, everybody they shake your hand, almost like line up and shake mm-hmm. your hand, and uh, you know, uh, congratulations, great career, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. blah. And uh, it's all quite cold, really, it's, you know, because you kind of think, oh, they're just saying that to be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, Mitch gave me a big hug. So they all go through it. And Mitch gave me a big hug and said to me, thanks for being nice to me. Right? And, and I started crying. That's what he said. He said, thanks for being so nice to me. And I started, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, because, I, you know, I'd held it together totally until he said that, you know. Yeah, then Jim. I went, mm. yeah, oh, mate, he's an amazing so man. And then yeah, I, yeah. Oh, he's an amazing man. And then yeah. I went to uh, Perth with my kids and it was the first time that we'd been away after I uh, uh, got divorced and um, together. So we went to Perth and I I didn't have a lot of cash or anything like that. I didn't really know what to do with the kid. It sort of didn't really know how to make things fun. Mm-hmm. And But I'd set a few things up for my daughter. She'd gone for beauty treatments and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And I didn't really, and I just sort of suddenly just bang, I thought I'll call Mitch, mm-hmm. you know. And I phoned, um, I sent Mitch a text and he'd just left training and he lives he lived at the time about 30 minutes north of Perth. So mm. I, um, he'd already gone. He said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? Um, and I said, oh, we're leaving at midday. He said, well, I'll meet you at 7.30. So he met me at, and my son at 7.30 a.m. in the morning at the Wacker. And, like, so we drove, like, he met 7.30 in the morning. And he bought my son it was just after an england tour and he'd got man of the series in the one day series mm-hmm. he bought my son the shirt he gave my son his phone number he sent my son his a text message as we were about to get on the plane saying let me know when you hit your dad in the head for the mm-hmm. first time with a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 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 and mitch it like i got a picture of mitch and alex sitting on the bonnet of his NSX or whatever mm. that you know the Nissan was in the yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. But, uh, sitting on the bonnet, and I've never seen Mitch or my son Alex smile yeah. so much ever. They were smiling and they were laughing because they were picking on me. Yeah. And so that's my <laughs> so that's my second favorite book, the Mitchell Johnson autobiography. Yeah, he's an he's an um, yeah. Yeah, and the other one that's relevant to sport mm. is. Um, lots of people have seen the movie, but Moneyball, mm. um, uh, which is written by this dude called Michael Lewis, who also mm. did the big short. But the reason why I really like it is because of what it meant to me with sport. So I wasn't Shane Warne. 
Um, and look, I wasn't Nathan Lyon. Uh, I wasn't going to do the, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't guarantee you economy rates. I couldn't guarantee, but I had my role in the team mm. and my role was the striker rate. Mm. And I never lost the test series I played in. I was, I had the thing that I did and I, I would only be disappointed in myself if I didn't get the wickets. Um, I just wanted to contribute as much as I could to those 20 mm-hmm. and as quickly as I could. And, and that's why it's a good book. It's a great movie too, I, I, I've got to say, but it's, it's a good book to read because the guy had a plan and he stuck to it. And there was a purpose behind it. It wasn't just sort of hoping that it'd work out. This is the way that he planned it to work out. And ironically, he didn't win. But um, you can win if you've got a plan, and that's the only way you can win. And so, yeah, they're, 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 they're my three books. What I Certainly my three books that I can remember. And you've got to also remember, you're wearing the gogs at the moment. Oh, I can't see to save my life. <laughs> yeah, that's why I need my glasses now or contacts. <laughs> um, Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Just touching on the um, money ball, and that's the one thing that you said, like with, with um, Billy Beams. Yeah. Is that, yeah, Billy Beams. So, yeah. What he, he defined a couple of really key statistics and key numbers mm. that he pulled out to know that if I can just put these like numbers and these, so these numbers or these people mm. in, a, in a place and bring a group together, I'm going to get the most of what I've got. It doesn't, I don't have to pay big, exactly massive money for these players mm. because they don't have all the bells and whistles. But you know, if I can put every, like those people in place within a team and build a, build a team around these, these numbers and these key statistics that I've pulled out, like for example, like strike rate, cricket, you need to get wickets. So yep. if you've got someone who, who's got like the best strike rate ever, and then you've got a couple of people around them who are more economy sort of their statistics might be economy, for example. Yep. And you put these pieces so, together, that's the, that's the power of what it is. Instead of just going, oh, we just need you know, all these people who have like ultimate bowl, ultimate cricketers and whatever it is. Well, yeah, good luck trying to find that. That's right. I think, look, yeah. the, 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 the year, so I'd been retired for three years hmm. um, and I came back uh, to play Big Bash in BBL1 uh, for the Sixers. I was the lowest paid pay- player in the whole league. Hmm. Um, they said that we would finish second last. Like that was the the uh, the, the ratings at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I got the best batsman out from every team, yeah. and um, we won. Mm. Now Warney was the highest player. He got a hundred thousand bucks a game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember thinking to myself, <laughs> it cost me money because I had to stop working for the six weeks that the yeah, big bash okay. was on. Yeah, and I was getting twenty grand. It's <laughs> a debacle. Yeah, uh, but but um, my job was to get the best batsman out from each team, mm. and 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 in terms of picking the money, I was the bargain buy of that mm. series, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I would like to think that 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 Beams would have picked me. <laughs> because because I, I did my job. I remember in the final, it was so hot, man. We played. They even delayed the game. We are playing against um, the Perth team, the Scorchers. Uh, that's the Scorchers, isn't it? Scorchers, yeah. yeah. We, played against a, we played against the Perth team. And it was so hot, they delayed the game for an hour. And I was so – I'd eat. I hadn't drunk any – I'd eaten right, but I hadn't eaten any carbs. Okay. And I did. I, I appealed. I think I got Marcus North out, and like I'm celebrating, and I had to go off the field because I almost fainted from from I don't know, it was dehydration or blood sugar or whatever it was. Yeah. But I needed to have a rest for a couple of hours because I was exhausted. But I did my job. I did what I had to do. Yeah. And that, you know what, man? You pick a team. Every player in your team should be able to win the game for their team, mm. I think, which might be slightly different to the money ball thing. But 
every player has a different role, which mm. is the same. Yeah. And that's what I believe. And I think that, you know, I've talked about the Steve War teams for a while. Um, and the Steve War teams, every single player in his team could win a test match for Australia mm. um, on their day. And every single player was proud to be a part of a team where the other players won a game for Australia. Yeah, yeah. And we were all happy for each other and everything was good. And, you know, uh, and I think that probably started with, with AB. Well, it started again because mm. I'm sure it has been a part of Australian cricket before then, but it was went a little bit strange for a while. But I think it started with AB and then moved through, you know, Mark Taylor and into Steve. And, you know, I think that was uh, – I'm very lucky to have uh, – look, I don't know what is there, 450 still now. I don't mm-hmm. know what they're up to with test players. But I was 374 and um, that that – I think I'm pretty lucky to have ever had the opportunity to do what I did and um, – um, I'm, I'll never forget it, even if other people do. There's no no way, Macca. Gosh, the gold, the go, those golden years of Australian cricket that you're, yeah, a huge part of. Wow, they were they were amazing times to be able to, to be a cricket lover and a cricket watcher. Because as you said, like it was not just the yes, there was match winners, of course, at any any time on the field that could win a game for for the team, which is you know which is incredible to think that was happen that would happen, but. The other part of it, which is a huge part, is that everyone was actually enjoying everyone's other their success as well when it wasn't their day, and that's 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 so powerful. We're, we're all still um, we're all still friends too, you mm. know. And I always used to say that bowlers are friends with bowlers and batsmen are friends with batsmen. But one of my best mates is Damien Martin, so mm. it's not true. Yeah. You know, Lang and I send text messages messages to each other and I've got nothing in common with him. Yeah. Stephen's one of the, the best, most solid people, you know, Mark, I'd like, so it's not, I always used to think that it was just bowlers and bowlers and batsmen and batsmen. Mm. But that period of time, I think produced a couple of really good people. And, um, um, you know, you were, I, I think, you know, this is me being an old man now. You were lucky to be a part of it as well, man, because you got to play against and meet all of these guys that one day, even if they probably are already respected, but one day people will talk about guys like that and the room will go quiet Mm. because they were amazing. They were amazing and they did some amazing things and, you know, I remember I, I sent AB a message on his um, uh, on his birthday, and uh, you know he, he got back to me. Yeah, it's just an amazing time, and and for me, when I started playing, to have played against my first game for New South Wales, I had seven of the I had seven of the guys. I'd asked them for their autograph. <laughs> Before, <laughs> I had an autograph book with seven blokes in my team. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting there, kind of going, "Oh my god, look at all this! I'm in the room with all these guys." Yeah, I remember getting, oh, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. I remember getting um, Kurtley Ambrose's autograph uh, when he played at the Wacker one year, and then I'm facing him. I. <laughs> And I couldn't see, I could not, I didn't, I've never seen a ball that he bowled. And, and I played five tests against him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking to myself, I, don't, I think maybe the problem was I was actually looking at him, not the, yeah. not, not the ball. <laughs> yeah. I, I said to Steve Wall one time, Terry Alderman, because I, uh, I faced him in a game, even though we're both from Perth, we played a game against each other. I don't know if it was club or something. And I said to Steve, or I said, oh, the problem with Terry Alderman is, like, I couldn't take my eyes off the smile because he used to smile when he ran into bolt. Mm. And Steve Warsett looked at me, like, just turned around. He said, what the, were you looking at his face for? And I went, oh, watch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, 
oh, I see. <laughs> but all these guys that we, you and me both, have had the mm. opportunity to to meet and interact with and try to understand what I think it's an amazing opportunity and experience and it's a we've been blessed it doesn't matter what happens to us at the end of the day we have seen and we've seen some things man so thank you for talking to me about this because it makes me think about it and it makes me realize how lucky I am. It's beautiful, mate. And you deserve it. That's and and what you said there around um like my first tour was with you in two thousand two. I remember getting on the plane on the way to South Africa and I was just like, I can't believe this is like all these guys that I've grown up watching and idolizing and copying and mimicking as a young kid. Now I'm on the same I'm on the same plane as these guys. Are you serious? But as you said, and, and these are the and these and these conversations, um, and this is why I absolutely, I, I just, I feel so fortunate to be able to do, do what I'm doing um, with this podcast, because it also, it's a, it's a way to be able to one reconnect with with people as well, but also brings such incredible goodness out to the world as well. That only yeah, the other people who you interact with, of course, see that, but then for people to be able to get it on scale in a way that people from all around the world can listen to it, and it's just, it's, it's. It's absolutely beautiful, mate. And I'm so incredibly grateful when everyone who listens this to this, they're going to feel the exact same way. Pleasure, treasure. Maka, this has really been such an honor to have had you on the, this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You achieved so many incredible things on the cricket field by mastering the hardest skill in cricket. And it has been absolutely fascinating to hear the lessons that you've learned throughout your career, career and your life. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share all of these amazing insights with me and everyone who listens to this will be that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you, Shane. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.